you have your Bibles, and if you would, open with me to uh, Philippians chapter 4, and we will start in verse 4. To me, uh, this passage of Scripture is my absolute favorite passage in all of Scripture. This is where I often go to when I am struggling or down or hurting and in need. For me, these passages are like a weighted blanket on a cold December night. It's like a balm on chapped lip or like a cup of coffee early in the morning. It's a, it's a comfort spot. It's a happy place, right? This is, this is a good spot to run to. And for me, this is the place that I go to when I'm counseling other people walking through hard times. I take them right to Philippians 4. It's a place that when I have struggled through hardships of life, my heart runs right to Philippians 4, 4 through 7. If you have not memorized any scripture, this is a great place to start. It's a place you can encourage other people with, a place you can encourage your soul with. For me, this is my favorite passage of scripture and my favorite book of the Bible. So for me, this is a highlight of scripture. I encourage you as we walk through this morning, uh, let it be something that uh, if you not memorize scripture, this, this one would be an ultimate. So as we take it this morning, let, let's read it, let's study it, let's apply it, let's ask what the Lord would have for us. Uh, there is nothing sweeter than what we see here on these pages. Let me read it for you. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone, for the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, lift your requests to the Lord, and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and guard your mind in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, help us. We know these are, this passage is a difficult one for us to soak on and apply in our lives. It's something we desperately want, but Lord, we at times feel far from. So Lord, help us. Mold us into your image. It's in your name we pray. Amen. About seven years ago, I was called to be the pastor of Argo Baptist Church there in a little north of Trussville, Alabama. I don't know if anybody's heard of Argo, Alabama, anybody. It's known for its drive-in movie theater and um, its drive-in movie theater. That's about it. Um, It's this tiny little town in the outskirts of Trustful, and this small little church called me to be their pastor at the age of 23, and I did much like I'm doing here. I'm preaching through my favorite book of the Bible. I started preaching through the book of Philippians, and I came to this particular passage, and it felt like the wheels of life fell off the car. The week that I was supposed to preach this passage, I came to it, and that was the same week that my mom was supposed to begin her first round of chemotherapy treatments. A couple weeks before I was supposed to preach this passage, our house was broken into there in Birmingham for the second time in six months, and we were preparing to move into the basement of my aunt and uncle's house as a married couple. It was not bestest of circumstances. So I've got my mom dealing with chemo. Our house has been broken into twice. If you've had that feeling, you know what that feels like to feel violated and anxious in your own home. Brittany had just finished her residency in pharmacy school, and uh, she had uh, got a job opportunity, and she was down to a couple candidates, and we believed that she was going to get that job, and in those weeks leading up to preaching this passage, she did not get that job and got rejected, and so we felt, again, this wave of anxiousness flood over our souls. It was about a month before I was to preach this passage that my father-in-law left work because he wasn't feeling well. He blacked out on his drive home and drove his car six feet into a house on the way home. 
came to this passage and thought, Lord, there is no way. There is no way I'm going to rejoice in you right now. There is no way that I'm supposed to not be anxious about anything. Do you see, Lord, what I'm dealing with? I mean, it came to a point where uh, the week that I was supposed to preach this passage seven years ago, that as I came to it, I began to look up saying, God, what else? Have you ever felt like that, that you're just looking up in the cloud saying, God, I can't take anything else. You cannot do anything else. I can't handle anything else. This is it. I have reached the end. And so you can imagine walking to this passage the past few weeks, I've been a little bit apprehensive about what's going to happen, knowing what happened seven years ago as I preached this passage. As I look back over my sermon that I preached seven years ago, it is far different than the one that I preached today because the Lord has taught and encouraged so much these past seven years. And I don't stand here and say, well, hey, I got everything figured out. I am no longer anxious. I'm rejoicing every day and everything's good and hunky-dory and there's no problems in my life. I hope you know that I'm not saying that. But I'm understanding that this is a difficult truth that we're walking into. This is a hard reminder, but it's also one of the most beautiful promises that we see in all of Scripture. That at the end of the struggle and the strife and the strain and the hardships that we face, what we see is a God who wants desperately to provide his people peace. In the midst of hardships and struggles and diagnoses and job loss and suffering and pain and sorrow, what we see is a God who's not saying, figure it out, people, but a God who wants to offer and extend a hand of peace to his people. And so this morning, we want to walk this pathway towards peace, knowing that we're not going to walk out of here and click the easy button of life, and all of a sudden, we're going to walk around with smiles under our mask and everything be hunky-dory and everything just walk and work out fine. But as we come to this passage, I want, to, I want us to do a little exercise. If you have a pen, I want you to take it with you. I want you to take your outline or in your Bible, and I want you to begin to look at what we see in these three passages, three, three verses. Anytime as I read it, you see an allness word, always, everyone, anyone, all, everything. I want you to underline it, highlight it, or just make a little note of it. Okay, so let's do this together. I'm going to read it, and I may give you a little cheat code. I may give you a little emphasis on the words. Okay, let's see if we can do this together. First service didn't do too good, so I think y'all can do it better, all right? Can y'all feel it? All right. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God that surpasses All understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I don't think that Paul just accidentally wrote so many allness words in there. I don't think Paul accidentally said always and again and everyone and every every way. I don't think he accidentally gave us these words. I think there's an importance to Paul's writing that at times leaves me a little bit frustrated because I would sure like a little caveat, wouldn't you? I would sure like a caveat that would say, I don't have to be gracious to everybody. I don't have to rejoice in everything. I don't have to be anxious about anything. Like, I would like a little caveat, Lord, right? You know you want it to. Stop standing there looking at me like I'm crazy. You know you want a caveat to. You want a little caveat to say, Lord, I'm not going to be anxious about most things. But some of the stuff, I really want to be anxious about. I mean, we feel it. So I'm frustrated at times to come to this passage. Because I want my anxiety to just melt off like ice on a, cold, on a warm day. I just want my anxiety to, 
just flow away. And it's kind of frustrated because I don't feel it as quickly. But see, here's the deal. When you come to passages like this, it's important to see who's writing. See, if I want financial advice, if I want to get my house in order, I'm not going to go to somebody who has their financial house way out of order. If I'm going to somebody and I'm learning how to raise my kids, I'm not going to go to somebody who's, raised, who's never raised kids before and has no idea what it looks like to raise kids. I'm going to go to someone who has raised and reared kids and done it well. That's where I'm going to go seek advice. In all these different ways, if I've got medical needs, I'm going to go to a doctor. I'm not going to go to somebody who's never seen a patient. And so for Paul to write these words, he's not pie in the sky saying, hey, y'all should probably just not be anxious about anything. You're talking to a guy. As we have learned in chapter 1 and chapter 2 and chapter 3 and here in chapter 4, who is walking through some extremely anxious days. Think about his circumstances. Paul is sitting under house arrest, not knowing if the day that he was living would be his last. Paul didn't know if in the next breath he would be beaten, if he would be transported or exiled, if he would be killed. He didn't know what his next moment held, if he would see the very people that he loved and longed for. Paul had no idea for doing the very thing that God had called him to do if he would live to see another day. And so Paul can write these words and say, don't be anxious, rejoice in everything, because it was an overflow of what God was doing in his heart. That you saw and were reminded in Philippians 1 that Paul said, what you really think has happened to me is that the gospel has been stopped, but what you're really seeing is the gospel being advanced. And Paul was taking advantage of the opportunities and the circumstances that God had placed him in to advance the gospel. You also see in Philippians 3.1, we spent several minutes, uh, several weeks ago talking about this. Paul writes in Philippians 3.1, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Paul is repeating to them over and over and over and over again, rejoice in the Lord. So let's get down to this passage and let's walk. Let's walk the pathway of peace. The first thing that you'll see is rejoice in the Lord always. On your outline, your first point is rejoice in the Lord always. Now, I don't want to belabor this because I belabored it last week, but you see the three words that are essential to the understanding of this passage are rejoice in Lord. The Lord. Again, there's a reason why Paul would say in the Lord. It's the same reason he said, agree in the Lord and stand firm in the Lord. That they're not just three random words that Paul is telling us to rejoice in the Lord. Because so often our circumstances do not give us reason to rejoice. And Paul's not talking about just kind of a happiness that says, just wear a smile across your face and grin and bear it through life's toughest of challenges. No, we rejoice not in our circumstances, but in the Lord. This past week, I believe it was on Brittany's birthday, Wednesday, that um, our little Nora had some, um, she had a little fever virus. I'm not really sure what happened, but she was up screaming her head off for hour after hour. If you've been in our shoes before, I was studying and reading this passage the day before. And I remember thinking there in the middle of the night, am I supposed to rejoice in this, Lord? Paul, where are you, man? Am I supposed to rejoice right now? I don't think so. And again, I begin to get frustrated. Am I failing as a believer because I'm not joy-filled, rejoicing, smiling, saying, baby, just go on to sleep. Everything's great. No, I was frustrated and at moments a little bit upset. And the Lord took me to this place where it's not rejoicing in my circumstances, it's rejoicing in the Lord. 
Lord, thank you in this moment that you've given me a child. Lord, thank you for our marriage, that we can do this together. Lord, thank you for the goodness that you walk with us, that you give me strength and you give me patience to walk through this way. And I begin to turn it to, Lord, thank you that even though my circumstances change from day to day and there are hard things that we all face, the one thing that is constant is that you are with me and that you love me and that you have saved me from the pit of hell and redeemed me in all of my sins. And if I have nothing to rejoice in my circumstances, I can surely rejoice in the Lord. Again, I'm, I'm standing here saying this is, this is not easy. Rejoicing and not being anxious about anything and being reasonable to everyone is a difficult challenge. It's not something that, again, we just flip a switch and say, I'm going to rejoice in the Lord through everything that I walk through, and I'm going to walk out this room and just be rejoicing all the day. It is hard, not easy. This is why Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'm going to say, rejoice. That's why Paul is going to say in Philippians chapter 3, verse 1, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write these things to you again is of no challenge. I'm going to say it again and again. There's something good in our lives about rejoicing in the Lord. Friends, if the Lord has redeemed you, if he has taken your sins as far away as the east is from the west, if his mercies were new for you this morning, you have much to rejoice in. And friends, it's hard. I recognize fully it is hard. It is hard when you walk through these struggles of life to, to rejoice in the Lord. But what you see through each of these, rejoicing and being reasonable and not being anxious, is these are absolutely antithetical to everything in our culture and everything in our flesh. Everything the world would throw at you as you are walking through hard circumstances, don't rejoice in it, gripe in it. As you're walking through difficulties, don't be reasonable toward outsiders who would seek to do you harm. Be mean to them and discredit them. When you face hardships, be anxious, be jittery, be crazy. Don't be level-headed. And so you see each of these are completely antithetical to our flesh and to our culture. To friends, the first rung in this ladder as we walk the pathway of peace is to find ourselves rejoicing in the Lord in his goodness over you, in his goodness over you, to be resolute in your joy-filled state, not a, a happy smile that you walk through things with just a dumbfounded smile on your face, but in a joy in the Lord's goodness to you and through you. And secondly, as you rejoice in the Lord, Paul says, be gracious, be reasonable, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Now, this is a tricky word to translate, and if you have a different version of your Bible in front of you, maybe you have the King James Version. It says, let your moderation. The NIV says, let your gentleness. The NASB says, your gentle spirit. And your CSB says, let your graciousness. And what this word implies is that we'll be level-headed, we'll be kind, we'll be gracious to the people around us. Everyone. Y'all get that word? Everyone. Paul, in some senses, is talking about his persecution, that he's sitting in a cell or under house arrest in which he didn't know what the outcome was going to be, people who were against him, the very people that threw him into prison for his gospel preaching and his gospel lifestyle. This is the people, these are the people that Paul is saying being reasonable to. 
as we've talked about in politics and talked about this world that we're living in today, we're going to disagree with a lot of people. There are going to be people who are trying to take things from us as believers and all sorts of kinds of things. But the chief hallmark of how we act as believers is gracious and reasonable, level-headed and kind. This is the hallmark of our faith. That even people who would seek to destroy and discredit and do horrible things to us, we are kind and reasonable and gracious in return to them. Look at Jesus. A clear picture of what Paul is trying to write is in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 20. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. And when he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Friends, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Your enemies, the people you dislike, the people who seek to harm and destroy you. Yes, you speak out with the truth of God's word. You speak truth to people. You don't silence the truth of God's word in our culture, but we do it with measured reasonableness and graciousness, knowing that the people we are talking to are made in the very image of God. And so you're gracious, you're kind, you're loving, and you're caring. Paul gives us another admonition because the Lord is at hand. We know the Lord is coming back, and we've talked about being citizens of the heavens and all that implies, so I'm not going to go into it again, but understand we are gracious towards everyone. That there's not a person who deserves your rudeness, your meanness, your lack of self-control. As believers, we are to be gracious towards everyone for the sake of the gospel. And that would lead us then, verse 5, be gracious Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Make reasoned responses. Make kind and thoughtful, slow-to-speak type responses. Make it be known to everyone, for the Lord is at hand. And then this hallmark, do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything. And then Paul gives the kind of the anecdote or the other way to anxiousness is in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. That the antidote, the answer to our anxiety is found in prayer. And again, hear me say, I recognize that this is not a simple switch, that if we just pray, all of a sudden everything melts away and this is easy. This is hard and difficult and this is not a simple switch that we press and everything melts away. This is a pathway that we walk down, that we request to the Lord, that we go to the Lord with all of our needs, with everything. And in our anxious spirits, in our anxious lives, we bring our requests to the Lord because we believe that he wants to give us his peace. We believe passages of scripture that say, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. We believe that that is a truth of God's word. We believe that we, God wants us to bring all of his, our anxieties to him because he cares for us. And so when Paul says, don't be anxious about anything, but pray about everything from the smallest of needs in your life to the most magnificent, difficult, weighty things in your life, bring them all before the Lord. And I think you've heard that before, but the thing that I think we miss more than anything is this word with thanksgiving. I think this is a key element of our prayers that we miss time and time again. 
is that we simply come to the Lord and say, Lord, here's all my problems. Fix it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. That we come to the Lord and say, here's all my problems, Lord. Take them, make them better, and I'm out of here. But you see in this with thanksgiving. And I know this may be a terrible analogy, but it helps me every single time as I'm thinking through, Lord, I want to pray with the spirit of thanksgiving. I, I love to make fires. It's just something in my bones. I love making a good fire and poking it and prodding it and all that kind of stuff. But I often never have firewood at the house. Just always forget. So always trudge up to the store to get firewood. And most of the firewood that I get, I don't know if I just get weird firewood, I don't know, but it's always bundled together with big uh, red cords. You know what I'm talking about? It's got those big cords that come around it, and you just pick it up and carry it home. And for me, this is a crystal clear picture of what it looks like for our prayer lives to be bound together with thanksgiving. That we bring all of our requests, we're praying, we're thanking the Lord, we're bringing all of our requests to the Lord, and we just bundle it together with the cords of thanksgiving. Lord, I need you in this moment. I'm struggling in this way. Lord, I'm having a difficulty. I'm wrestling with this situation I'm in. But Lord, I thank you for the goodness of who you are. Lord, I thank you for how good you've been in the past. Lord, I thank you for your graciousness, your goodness, how you're in control. Lord, I thank you for the goodness of all that you are. And you bundle all of your requests together with the cords of thanksgiving. There's something beautiful about our prayers as we pray to the Lord with the spirit of thanksgiving. I would encourage you, if you've not bound your prayers together with the cords of thanksgiving, pray with thankful hearts. We look at what Paul gives us in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 17 and 18. I mean, it's almost synonymous with what we see this morning. It says, rejoice always. It's right on your outline under pray with thanksgiving. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You see this doorway unlocked. Pray with the spirit of thanksgiving. Pray, Lord, thank you. Lord, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your salvation. Thank you for your love and trust. Lord, thank you for all that you are. Bind your prayers with the cords of thanksgiving. I believe you will see your trust deepen. Your anxiousness at times begin to subside. Because this last rung, this last rung is this beautiful thing. It's delight, to delight in the peace of God. Verse 7. As you've walked in this, rejoice in reasonableness and anxious about nothing and everything. Pray with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. In verse 7. And the peace of God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Do you see this promise that the Lord wants to give his people? And the peace of God that surpasses all expectations, all understanding, all normalcy, all that should be, all that could be, all circumstance, the peace of God that surpasses everything in our hearts. This peace of God that surpasses all understanding. And look at this, that Jesus would guard your heart and your mind. How incredible is this promise that we find ourselves at the end of this pathway of the peace is we find the peace of God. And so often we come to Philippians 4, 7 and say, Lord, give me the peace. That's what I'm after. And we forget all the rungs, all the pathways that we walk towards. We, we pray, we get on our knees that we're petitioning the Lord, that we're walking with the Lord. And the Lord gives his peace generously and favorably. I don't see in scripture a God who withholds peace from his people. He wants to give it. 
So if we were walking in anxiousness and frustration and just darkness, look at these passages and walk. Let this be a cry of your heart. I believe if I ask the question, do any of us want more peace or less peace in our lives? I can't think of anybody that would say, I want less peace in my life. We want more peace in our marriages, more peace in our homes, more peace in our jobs, more peace in our inner life, more peace as we face circumstances. And what I see time and time and again in these passages is Paul write not to be anxious about things or to rejoice in circumstances or pray about anything. We see circumstances are outside the realm of what he's talking about, that we will face hardships, we will face difficult circumstances. I can tell you there's been seasons of life when I've wanted to delight in simply peace. That I've retreated to the lake or I've retreated to the beach or I've retreated to a bathroom just to get away from craziness and I've retreated to quiet places and looking for peace and it's so temporary. It's peace for a few minutes, a few hours, a few moments. But what the Lord wants to offer us is a peace of God that surpasses all understanding. It surpasses all circumstance. This is the peace that God wants to offer us. So friends, I'll encourage you today. If you're struggling and just saying, that's not possible, it's not real, it can't happen, know that what you see time and time again is a God who wants desperately to offer his people peace. Let me pray for us. Dear Lord, Lord, we want your peace. We don't want the peace that we can fabricate or the peace that we can manufacture through a tranquil vacation or a tranquil moment, Lord. We want a peace that surpasses our wildest expectations, a peace that goes in the face of our circumstance, the peace that is resolute to walk through difficulties and strife and strain, knowing that you are in control, that you are with us always to the end of the age. Lord, we ask that peace be upon us. No, you tell us, let your hearts not be troubled that you have overcome the world, that you have come to give us peace, that you are the prince of peace, Lord. So forgive me, Lord, when I run to other things to find peace, when I run to numb myself with all sorts of different things. Lord, forgive me when I try to find peace in all the wrong places. Lord, give us, give me, Lord, a peace that comes from knowing you, from trusting in you, and giving my all to you. Lord, we need your help. It's in your name we pray. Amen.